Welcome to the Overflow Podcast. We pray you are encouraged by this message. For more info, notes, or other messages, download the Overflow Church app or visit our website at overflowdfw.com. Hey, I got a little bit of heavy lifting in front of me today. I really struggled all week with this message. I had all my content written by Wednesday, but man, just to figure out a way to articulate it and to communicate it in a way that that would be well-received. And so I hope that you're blessed today. You good? All right. So listen, one of the things that is critical as followers of Christ is the way that we view the world, the way that we view our lives, the way that we view uh, reality, and it's critical in following Jesus. Many times we think, well, our views aren't really that important, but I would argue that it's one of the most essential elements in your life is that as you follow Christ, that you are lining up the lens, your viewpoint, the way that you look at the world. We call this, as followers of Christ, we call this the Christian worldview, right? You have a worldview. I'm not talking about the Josh Brown worldview. I'm not talking about the Leslie Brown worldview or the overflow church worldview, but a Christian, everybody say Christian, Christian worldview. And, and we see this first in John chapter one, we can see the roots of where these things were developed. It says this, now Jesus was calling disciples. John the Baptist had had some disciples that decided to start following Jesus. And so Jesus is kind of the middle of, of developing his crew, his team. And it says this the next day, verse 43, John chapter 1, the next day Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. And Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we found the one that Moses wrote about in the law and about who the prophets also wrote about, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Now, understand something. These Jewish boys have been studying about the Messiah their whole life. Their whole life was devoted for the moment in history when the Messiah would show up. And so here these young Jewish boys were who, who knew the first five books of the Old Testament. They were devoted to their, their commitment and their pursuit. And then here they are at the pinnacle of human history when Jesus shows up on the scene. So they're not, we don't read that scripture and be like, hey, he's here. You know, kind of like um, some of you were acting dear worship today. You were like, yeah, we're here. No, they were like super excited because this was like the most epic moment in history. And so he tells them, he's like, they, they, they tell this guy and he's like, listen, it's Jesus, uh, son of Joseph. He's from Nazareth. And this is what he says. Now, now you got to understand something. When he responds to this, Nazareth was, was just a little kind of blue collar town. Nothing really good came out of it. It's kind of like the town that I was raised in, Odessa, Texas. Like, can anything good come out of Odessa, you know, besides oil? And, uh, and I, I hope so. I hope there's something good, but it was kind of like that. It was just a little obscure town that nothing really happened. And so he says this, his response is Nazareth. Can anything good come from there? Nathaniel asked. Come and see, said Philip. Everybody say, come and see. Come and see. Come and see, Jesus. Come and see with your own eyes this man that I'm talking about. Verse 47, when Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said to him, I love this, here is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. So here he's walking up, and Jesus is like, there he is. You're a true Israelite. There's no deceit in you. There's no lies in you. You are true to who you are. You're an Israelite. You're a Jew. In other words, you've been searching for me, and here you are showing up. You're the man. So Jesus was affirming him, and he said this, how do you know me? How do you know me, Nathaniel asked, and Jesus answered, I saw you 
while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. So Jesus is prophesying. Most people believe that Jesus kind of had like a word of knowledge or Jesus, I don't, I don't really know, but I do know that Jesus saw him before he saw Jesus. So he's like, how do you know me? Well, I saw you. You didn't see me, but I saw you, which Jesus probably wasn't there physically, but Jesus did see him at least in the spirit. So this blew him away. You know me, kind of like what we were singing today. Then then Nathaniel declared, Rabbi or teacher, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Other words, you're the Messiah. You're the one. And Jesus said, you believe because I told you that I saw you under the fig tree. Other words, there's a miracle. Of course you believe I am who I say I am. And he said, you will see greater things. Everybody say, see. You will see greater things. Then he added, I'll tell you the truth. You shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. What is he saying? He's saying, you're going to see heaven on earth. You're going to see it because you're going to follow me for the next three years. This isn't what he says verbatim, but he's basically saying that what you're going to see over the next three years as you follow me, you're going to see signs, miracles, wonders. You're going to see a transformed life. You're going to see all this. Now, one of the things that's crazy about the disciples, now the disciples did a little bit of ministry. If you read through the gospels, you'll see that the, the, the disciples did a little bit of ministry with Jesus, just a little bit. But most of what they did is they observed. They did exactly what was said right here. Come and see. Follow Jesus and see. How many know that there's an observing of Jesus and there's a doing with Jesus? And they did both. They observed. But listen, this was the time, these three years, is when they were developing their eyes. They were developing their views. They were developing how they saw the world through Jesus. So when Jesus empowered them with the Holy Spirit, they did what Jesus did. They were able to emulate what Jesus did because they had watched him do it for three years. So beloved, it is critical in the eye of the believer that we have our eyes fixed on who Jesus is, that we are observant to him, that we look through things the way that Jesus looks at things. So that's why they started persecuting them and killing them and calling them Christians. You know what? Today we call ourselves Christians, but you know, with the disciples, it wasn't like that. With the disciples, they were actually kind of making fun of them. And it says in the book of Acts that they were first called Christians in Antioch. So they didn't, they, they didn't go, I affirm as a Christian, that makes me a Christian. No, no, no. Everyone around them said, you're a Christian. You're a Christ follower. And then, so before they ever called themselves a Christian, the world around them did. What is the world saying about you? And the reason why they made these, these accusations, which were good accusations, the reason why they made these statements about these disciples is because they saw the world like Jesus saw the world. They thought like Jesus. Why? Because they were with him and they observed him and they followed him. Okay. So our lenses form our views, right? The way that we see uh, the world, the lenses that form our view, there's, there's basically three, three, three things that, that form the lenses that we have. How many know that you all have lenses, right? Um, some of you wear glasses. Uh, there was a thing that used to happen, I think maybe in the 70s or 80s, that uh, there was a song that came out talking about rose-colored glasses. And the idea is if you put on these rose-tinted glasses, you walk around and the world's a better place. But you've put on shaded glasses before, like blue glasses, and everything that you see is blue. Why? Because you have a filter. You have a lens that's causing you to see that way. Beloved, we all have lenses. We all have a way that we view the world. And our views, there are certain things that happen or that, that go on in our life that we develop these views, right? 
Now, the first thing, the first way that we form our views is, first of all, is through our education. Now, when I say education, I am talking about school, but I'm not exclusively talking about school. Now, education are basically just how and what we learn, what we learn from our parents, what we learn from church, what we learn from our upbringing. Good or bad, it's our education. It's what we learned. It's how we were raised, right? We form our views by how we were raised. If you were raised in a, in a, you know, in a conservative Christian home, then you have views about certain things because of the way that you were raised, right? That's not necessarily a bad thing. It can be, but it's not always. If you're raised in a racist home, then there's a higher chance of you being racist. Not because you came up with that idea on your own, but because someone taught you how to be that way. That was the lens that was kind of provided to you through your education. That's a bad lens. Come on. All right. And then you have another lens, which is your experience, right? So now I'm educated. I I know what I'm doing. And then now I have experience. I've been living life for a little while. And as you go along, you get this. And because you have experience and because there's been bumps in the road and how people have treated you or because life have treated you or how, what life was handed to you. Now you, uh, live at a certain way. You view things at a certain way because you're experienced. And then there's the next thing, which are emotions, so there's education, how, how and what we learn. Number two, our experience, how life and people have treated us, again, poor or bad. And then the third are our emotions. Now, emotions are how we feel, right? And how we feel determines oftentimes how we view things. Am I right? Our experience oftentimes projects our emotions. Correct? So someone one time early in your life mistreated you, Right? A certain demographic of person. Now, every time that you counter that demographic of person, you associate yourself with those old feelings. Am I lying? It's true. Why? Because you have developed a, a, a feeling or a lens, this lens, based upon your experience. Now it's projecting feelings. Right? And how many know sometimes those things are good and sometimes those things are bad? And so those are the lenses this form. They're not good per se. They're not bad, per se. However, the order in which we get them can be poor. Um, so it's important that we understand that we don't just have lenses, but the way that we go through looking through those lenses. Our culture teaches us that the most important of those lenses is your feelings, right? Well, I feel this way. This is the way I see things because I feel sad or I feel happy. So I'm going to do that. That makes me feel good, right? So I'm going to sleep with my girlfriend because that makes me feel good. So it's good because I feel good. Stop it. Right? I'm going to go out and get blasted tonight because I feel terrible. Right? So we, we I oftentimes allow our emotions to dictate. So what we do is we take our education. It's funny how when we grow right? At first we start with our education. We're like, we're doing pretty good. And then we have experience. And then we're like, oh, well, maybe my education wasn't that good. And my education all of a sudden changed. It was bad education. It was all bad education because now I'm experienced. And then we get in our emotions and go, well, my experience wasn't good and my education wasn't good. So I feel this way, right? And it could, listen, some of those can be accurate and some of them are not. Um, This is the deal with emotions. Emotions aren't bad. Understand that. Emotions aren't bad. In fact, emotions are really good. God created you to be emotional. However, emotions are meant to enhance our lens, not form it. Are you with me? 
Emotions are meant to enhance your lens, not form it. Uh, we should be rooted, come on, in our education, good education, right? Some of us need to unlearn some things that we've learned. And how many know it's harder to unlearn than it is to learn? I know that. And so many times what we need to do is we need to go back and we need to relearn some things. We need to equip ourselves. We need to educate ourselves. Uh, Paul says it this way. He was, he was running across all these religious people that were like doers of the law. Like they, they were really smart. I don't know if you know this or not, but Jesus, a lot of the religious and a lot of the self-righteous that Jesus ran into, they were the smartest people in town. They really were. And so Jesus was dealing with these people uh, all the time. Paul was dealing with these people all the time. So he says this in Romans chapter 10. He says, I can testify about them that they are zealous for God. They're emotional. They're passionate about what they're doing, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. So in other words, they have this feeling, they have this activity they're doing, but they don't really know what they're talking about. Have you ever met someone like that? They, they have a whole lot of emotion, a whole lot of passion. And we think they're right because they're passionate. They're, they're right because they're angry. The angriest person wins the argument, right? If I can be more angry than you, then I'll walk away and I'm right. I'm right. I'm angry. Well, that doesn't make you right. It just makes you angry. The reality is this, is we see what we value. We see what we value. That's, and people value their emotions. And so that becomes the biggest lens that they view the world from, oftentimes. But not you. All right. Right? Listen, we see what I value. Is that true? Yes. All right. So we have this screen. I want you to count the red-eyed, the red heart-eyed emoji, the love emoji. I don't know what, what you call it, the heart-eyes emoji. All right. I want you to count them. Ready? Go. All right, you ready? All right, turn them off or turn those off. How many did you count? Some of you need to go back to grade school. How many did you count? 11. Okay, 11. How many shaded emojis were there? No. There were seven. There were seven. Most of you don't know. Right, some of y'all wanted to kind of knew where I was going, so you're kind of being sneaky because you're in first service. <laughs> Why didn't you count the shaded, uh, the cool emoji? Because it wasn't valuable to you. Because it was important for you to know it. So why did you look at it? See, we only see what's important to us. A couple of years ago, we bought a Kia van. That's right, a minivan. I know, I know. Mm-hmm. So we bought this van. Nobody had a Kia van. There wasn't. I, I saw like one ever. And then I went to the dealership. I was like, oh, Kia makes a van? Right? And so I go, we buy the van. And then all of a sudden, I was like, there's another one. I see them like every day. Every time I turn the corner, there's one, you know? There's a, there's a couple in my neighborhood. There's, you know, they're at the school, parking lot. I mean, they're everywhere. Everywhere. They're everywhere. Now, were they, there, were they there before? Yes, absolutely. But I didn't see them. Why? Because it wasn't valuable to me. It didn't matter. See, what we value determines the way we view the world. Um, for instance, there are a lot of people that have been hurt and wounded by the church, right? So values form our views. 
there's a lot of people that have been wounded by church, and there's a, a label for it, which I hate labels, and I call them, they're de-churched. In other words, they, they like Jesus, but they don't really like the church, which if you read the Bible, it actually teaches that you can't, you can't love Jesus and hate his bride. And so they really like Jesus, but somebody in the church wounded them. They had a bad experience. And so now they have this lens of the church, and then they write blogs, and they have movements and all these things about, we are anti-church. And, and oftentimes what it was, it was people that were like coming to church, but they weren't really in the church. So for me, my experience has been totally different. I came into the church when I was 18 years old, a pretty, what we would consider now a very legalistic church. I didn't think it was legalistic. I was just like, I better walk straighter. You know, God's going to be mad at me. That was the, the poor education that I had. But I had, you know, I could have really got offended and been really bothered by some of the kind of the mean-spirited things that were done and said. But man, I wanted Jesus so much, and that was the only place I could find him. And so I had some pretty bad experiences. But I can tell you this also. I had a lot of awesome experiences. I had a lot of incredible experiences with Jesus, and I had a ton of great experiences with people. In fact, I never felt as loved as I did until I started going to church. I never felt accepted. I never felt like I was successful until Jesus came into my life. So my experience from church was phenomenal. So I had this experience, and another guy has the experience, and he goes, the church is bad, the church is corrupt, the church is broken, and I'm here over, and you guys have heard me talk about how I'm very pro-church. It's like, what's, what's the difference? Well, the difference is our experience. The difference is not reality. The reality is the same. Um, Our values form our views. So I value my experience, and it was bad. And that can be a good thing. That can be a tool to help you. Um, Take, take, uh, for example, people that think God is mad. Right, people that think God is mostly mad, upset, angry, disappointed. God is mostly negative about the way he feels. His, his, his feeling, his, his, uh, his, his emotion towards humanity is negative. So what happens when you get hit by a car? You know, you get in a car accident. Oh, God. God must be mad at me. Did I sin yesterday? Did I sin this week? Right? Oh, someone got my parking spot. I knew I should have spent two more, times, two more minutes in prayer this morning. Where are you getting that? Because you think you've projected, come on, this view about God. So you value God as angry. That is a high value in your life. It's not like you like that he's angry. It's just you think that he is. And so what it's doing is it's, 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 it's tainting. It's putting a lens over the way that you're experiencing life. Uh, I've known, I know people that have come from a, an occult background, Right? like an extreme occult background. And uh, they, got, they came to the Lord, the Lord delivered them, and now it's like, dude, everything's a demon. Yeah. <laughs> right? You know what I'm saying? Like, you better, you better make sure if you buy a house, you go through and you pray over everything because the demons are going to get you. Like, everything is because they've had a bad experience. Listen, I'm not trying to make light of the experience. What I'm saying is ex- their, their experiences are broken. Emotions are broken. The problem is this, is lenses are all subjective. They're all based upon you and what you think. They're not always rooted in reality. They're not an accurate view of reality. Now, listen, I'm not saying this. I'm not saying that your lenses aren't important. Your emotions are important. Your experiences are important. In fact, God wants to renew some of those things in your life. Your education is important. Even if it was wrong, it still formed you and got you through life to where you're at. Those things are important. There is value there. But you must understand, beloved, you must come to grips with the fact that your lenses are lenses. And you see the world a certain way according 
to your viewpoint. And your lenses are not always an accurate view of reality. And so it's important that we, all, that we, that we remain objective in our walk, in our life, that we say, you know what? This is kind of the way I'm seeing it. I might be right. I might be wrong. So what am I going to do to find truth? And so as the follower of Christ, listen, um, and, and let me say this one more thing. Reality doesn't care about your education. Might be a great education, might be a poor education. Reality doesn't care about it. It doesn't care about your emotions. Reality doesn't care. Jesus cares. I care about your, the way that you feel. But reality doesn't care. It doesn't, reality is not moved by your education, your emotions, or your experience. It's not moved by it. Reality is reality, and reality doesn't change. So as followers of Christ, it's important that we reevaluate our lenses. And there's a couple of lenses as believers that, that, are, that need to be intact, that have to be intact. So values that we have, right? Uh, viewpoints that, 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 that we live from. So the lenses we look through as follower of Christ, the first lens is this, reality. And we're talking about reality. We're talking about the truth. We're talking about the way the world really is. And what we've done in our culture is we've made truth a virtue. Truth is a virtue. Truth is not a virtue. Truth is truth. Truth is what it is. Now, speaking truth, communicating truth, being honest, those are virtues. Speaking the truth in love, that's a virtue. But truth itself is not a virtue. Uh, Some have made it a virtue, but it is not a virtue. Truth is reality. That's why there's no room. Listen, listen to me closely. There is no room for your truth or my truth. That's non-existent. Truth is truth. Whether I choose to accept that truth or reject that truth, it doesn't matter. It's truth. It doesn't matter if it's your truth or not. You can own it or not own it. The truth doesn't change. If it changed, it wouldn't be truth. Um, I, I read a meme one time. It said, love is greater than truth. And when we hear that, we're like, oh, that really matches my lens. But you can't compare love and truth. And my response to that when I read that was, is that true? Love is greater than truth. Is that true? In fact, I would say one of the greatest components of love is it's true that we need to have love in our life. That is truth. See, the truth is love does. So the truth is what it is. It's not going to change. But love is a virtue. Love says, I, I decide, what am I going to do with the truth? The truth is, is I need to love my neighbor. The truth is, I need to love God, heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's the truth. And I need to line my life up and live from that value. Love may open the door, but truth sets us free. So love's awesome. We love love. Love loves to love. Love, love, love. We love love. I think, yeah, I think that's the way he's at. But listen, truth is what carries authority. Right? That's why truth sets people free. By the way, Jesus said that. I know other people have repeated it in time. Jesus said that. So truth carries authority. Smart doesn't carry authority. It doesn't. Just because someone's smarter than you or louder than you or angrier than you doesn't mean they have authority. The person that has the truth has the authority. Are you guys tracking? Okay. Um, 
Feelings don't carry authority. Experience doesn't carry authority. Emotions don't carry authority. None of those things matter if they're not true. If your emotion is inaccurate, it carries no authority. You okay? So how are you exposing yourself to truth? That's the big question. How are you exposing yourself to How are you getting the truth? Romans 12, 1. This is a very popular passage, but I want to look at, look into it. Dear brothers and sisters. In other words, you're my dear brother. I love you. I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all that he's done for you. Let them be living and holy. There's that word again. Holy sacrifices. In other words, you need to be a holy sacrifice. You need to be holy unto the Lord. But your life is devoted, set apart for God. The kind that he will find acceptable. Yeah. Oh. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behaviors and the customs of the world. One translation says, do not conform. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. The, the word conform is like a mold. You put clay in, it forms around the mold and goes away and you become the mold. That's what it means to conform. Don't conform. Don't be a mold. Don't emulate the world. Don't conform to the world. Don't be like the world. Don't copy the behavior and the customs of the world, but let God transform. Metamorpho, that word is from a caterpillar becoming a butterfly. Right? Let God transform you into a new person. The old, listen, the old guy is gone. Are you tracking with me? You need to be a new person. By how? Changing the way you think. How are you getting your truth? And it's not your truth. How are you getting the truth? How are you accessing truth? Then you will know what God's will is. Oh, I want to do the will of God. Are you changing the way you think? Are you conforming to God? Are you conforming to the culture? Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good. It's good. It's pleasing. It's perfect. It's awesome. It's good. But if you want it, You've got to transform your thinking. How are you transforming your thinking? Are you doing it through godless culture? We live in a very godless culture. We use all their statistics, all their philosophies, all this kind of stuff. We're like, oh, the world is saying this. The world feels this way. The world is experiencing this. But you, beloved, are you taking your cues? Are you taking your views? Are you taking your values from a godless culture? Are you getting those values from God? What do you value? I value unborn babies. Where do you get that value? I get it from God because God values unborn babies. I don't want sea turtles to die because of straws in their nose. But it's pathetic that we live in a culture where straws are more important than unborn babies. That is pathetic. This is the kind of mindset that the world is projecting on us. Billions of babies have died since the 70s. You see, this is a value to me. I'm passionate about it. Why? Because it's valuable to me. God bless the sea turtles. I don't want another sea turtle to die with a straw. I don't. But the fact that that's making news and a baby died by the time that you watch the video legally is sick 
and gross. And that is not to shame anyone that's experienced abortion. That is not to shame you at all. But we want to see abortion be unthinkable. It should be. I don't even know how it's impossible in our mind. Much less someone getting on and talking about how you need to shout it. Godless culture. Are you getting your values from godless culture? Google, I Googled it. This is, this, is, this is how we win debates in 2018. What does the Bible say? What does Jesus say about... Blah, blah, blah. And then we go out and we find all these secular people that don't even know Jesus or quoting Jesus. We'll talk about that in a minute. And they're like, well, I like this article. This suits it. So I'll post this one. I'll text this one to my friend. This is, read this article. You have no idea if the facts in that article are even reality, if they're real. You haven't done any research. This is one of the problems. One of the problems is we have all this information. It might be reality. It might not be. I have a feeling that most of it is not. We, we, get, we, we have no integrity. There's no diligence. There's no hard work like there used to be. Used to, if you wanted that information, you had to go to a library and study for hours or days or weeks or months, get that information, then come back because you did the work. Now we just go out and Google something. We find the one because there's five different articles saying different facts, different things. We go, oh, I like this one. This matches the way I feel. And so we go, post. There's the facts. It's not the facts. Have you, have you researched the other articles that oppose your view? No, because you didn't like those. Well, I'll watch a YouTube video. You should watch this video. I, you know how many times? I, if I, listen, I get people tell me to watch YouTube videos. If I watch, don't tell me to watch YouTube videos. I get, if I had to watch all the YouTube videos that people tell me I should watch, all I would do was watch YouTube videos. I would have to play YouTube videos on Sunday mornings instead of getting a fresh word for you because I get so many people, hey, are you watching my channel? <laughs> Listen, the world is full. And I'm not saying that there's not good sources out there. There are, absolutely are. But you need to find sources that are trustworthy. And listen, I'm not just saying you know, what a conservative network because they're just as slanted as, as the uh, liberal ones. But there, we do live in a world full of false news, false views, and false prophets. And when I say false prophets, I'm not just talking about preachers on churches on Sunday morning. I'm talking about the ones that are on your TV screen or on YouTube or on social media that are telling you how to live, telling you what is right or wrong. What, where are you getting truth? Because it's important. And then we have this thing called revelation, right, in the church. Oh, God gave me a revelation. I read this scripture, and it spoke to me. Right? Well, I understand. I do it. But, we, but what we do is we, we make those things authority in our life. And it's like the scripture has, that scripture had nothing to do with what you're applying. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So I'm going to go and win my soccer game today. Like, seriously, you're mutilating the scriptures. I mean, the scripture is talking about, this isn't the context of people dying for their faith. And you're saying, I'm go out and be successful playing soccer? Now, you should be successful at everything that you do because you're doing it for God. But don't take a scripture that says, I can do all things. God is the one that gives me strength to survive, to do everything in my life, and, and, and use it to suit your fancy. Well, I just got a revelation. But if your revelation is rooted in poor understanding, you think God's angry, then that revelation is just as broken as someone who doesn't have the Bible. So I'm just slap a scripture on it. That's why you need to know the scriptures. Uh, yeah, uh, there's a, a guy I listen to. He says, don't read a Bible verse. Don't read a Bible verse. N- listen, read the whole counsel of God. 
We, we go, oh, I don't like that. Swipe. That's the one. That, that makes my point. Okay. Where are you getting truth? So we value. We value reality truth because we want to be well-rooted, right? Number two. These other ones go quicker, by the way. Number two is Jesus. <laughs> we value Jesus. Aren't you glad we value Jesus? Aren't you glad that we don't just value reality, but we, which is the truth, but we also value the man of truth? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So Jesus is the man of truth. We value what Jesus says about himself. We value what Jesus says about God. We value what Jesus says about humanity. We value Jesus. We pay attention to him because we are disciples, just like the other disciples did. We pay attention to him, and we do our best to emulate him. We value what he values. So we value people. We love people. We're tender towards people. Sinful people. People that sin against us. We value those people. Jesus said this. He didn't just say, uh, love the homosexual. He didn't just say, uh, love the Muslim. He didn't just say, love the homeless person. No, no, no. Jesus said, love everybody. He also said, love your enemy. And that would include your political enemy. (laughs) By the way, that fits on both feet. Whichever side you walk on. We value what he values. Colossians chapter 2, verse 6. Just as you accepted Christ as your Lord, you must continue. Everyone say continue. Continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will go strong in the truth that you were taught. And you will overflow with thanksgiving. Don't let anyone, here we go. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophy philosophies and high sounding nonsense. Oh, that just sounds so spiritual. That comes from human thinking and from spiritual powers of this world. It sounds so spiritual because it is, it is spiritual, but it's not the right kind of spiritual. So don't, don't allow anyone to capture you with empty philosophies or high sounding nonsense that comes from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. Christ is a higher value. So be careful with the sources that you're listening to. If they're not rooted in Christ, I'm not saying that they might not have truth, but they could have the wrong spirit. Don't be captured by these empty philosophies. Don't be captured by this mean-spirited, anti-driven philosophies. All right, number three. So we value truth, we value Jesus, the man of truth, and we value the word of God or the word of truth. There's a, there's a movement today that says, I love Jesus, but I don't really like the Bible. Well, I hate to break it to you, but what we know about Jesus is from the Bible. So, sure, read the red, pray for the power, praise God. But the Bible doesn't contradict Jesus the Bible points to Jesus. He's in Jesus says, Jesus says this in John chapter 5, verse 39. He says, the scriptures testify of me. All the Old Testament testifies to Jesus. All the New Testament, the writings of Paul, the disciples, uh, John, all of it testifies to Jesus. All the scripture has this central character, the man Jesus. 
Listen, we don't read the word of God through the lenses of experience and emotion. People, and you, you know people, and I've known people that have used the word and twisted the word of God to manipulate. We must carefully divide and handle the word of truth. And, and you need to be careful, like when you're quoting scripture to someone because they're doing your favorite sin that you like to attack, you need to be careful with the way that you use the word. I'm not saying that it's not true, but listen, the word is a double-edged sword. And that swinging that sword is dangerous. So when you, use, when you swing it, you need to do it skillfully. You're performing heart surgery. You're not cutting off heads. So we don't use the word of God to manipulate the way to, to get my point across. We use the word of God to conform us to the likeness of Jesus. To learn how to live godly, to learn to value what God values. This is why we have such a broken culture. And when I say that, I'm not just talking about America. I'm talking about church. Because we've, we, we have gotten away from the Bible so much. Never manipulate the scriptures. Listen, what we're reading in the scriptures, how we're reading in the scriptures, how we're declaring the scriptures. Listen, let me say this about the Bible. The Bible is trustworthy. Because some of you are like, well, I don't know. I mean, people wrote the Bible. Let me, let me deal with that real quick. If you and I sat down, went to Starbucks today, and you wrote word for word the words that were coming out of our mouth, and the not before that, you were land blasted, drunk, and drugging up, and you'd done all kinds of immoral stuff, and you, but you're a really good writer, and you sit down and you write everything that I communicated to you, does that mean that what you wrote down is corrupt because you're corrupt? No. See, God can draw straight lines with a crooked stick. Somebody said that. I don't know. Somebody did. There are like five people. I, I Googled it. There are like five different people said it. So somebody said it. I don't know who said it, but somebody did. I'll let you find out who said it. And tell us next week. But do more than one search. All right. Listen, the Bible has survived thousands of years of scrutiny. Thousands of years. Thousand, listen, for thousands of years, people have been trying to disprove the Bible. And it's held up under the scrutiny of science. It held under the scrutiny of, of archaeological findings and discoveries. There's been many, many discoveries that actually have confirmed the Bible over and over again. And let me just say this. Any fact that you know is passed along from another human. Any fact you know is passed. If, if you wrote a book, if you are an expert, and I'm saying a real expert, not like you just went to school. But like you are experienced, you've really done your research, you've studied the human anatomy, and you've studied nutrition, and you're an expert nutritionist. You're the best on the planet. And if you wrote a book on nutrition, and I wanted to get healthy by eating the proper things, then I would trust what you written was good. What you wrote was good. And I will give myself, and I will devote myself to your teaching. Because it's good. So, if the Bible is God's word, which we believe it is, at Overflow Church, we declare that, we believe that, then we believe that it carries authority, because truth carries authority. So the word of God will govern the way we live our lives, and the word of God will shape our views. Y'all okay? Listen, I'm old school, and I don't care to be new school. But I am old school. You know who else is old school? God is. 
God is really old school. He is the ancient of days. He is not, listen, God is not progressive. He doesn't need to be progressive. What's he going to progress to? He's holy, holy. He doesn't need to change. He doesn't need to change to match your poor experiences or your poor emotions. What needs to happen is you need to come to him, the all-consuming fire, and allow him to burn off everything in your life that has been jacked up and allow him to heal you and to restore you by conforming to the likeness of Jesus. Listen, you want hope for your life? Don't just dismiss what God says. Come to it and say, God, would you please heal my brokenness? People don't like the Bible because... I don't like the Bible. Let's just be real. Because when I read the Bible, it tells me that I need to live differently. And that's offensive. I mean, the Bible calls me a sinner. That's offensive. I don't like that. But just because I don't like it doesn't mean it's not true. And what I can find is I can find freedom from my sinning through the word of God. I can find freedom and be who God created me to be by valuing the word of God. I will finish this last part quickly. Can we pass those out, Pastor Emlyn? Filtering your filter. So another word for lenses is filter, but I figured we would change it up. So what do we do? Truth, the man of truth, the word of truth. What do we do? How do I filter my filter? Because we've all had experiences, right? We've all had emotions. We've all had upbringing. A lot of it great. Some of it not so good. All of us. All of us have been misled at times in our life. Listen. You need to filter your filter. You need to clean your filter. Right? How do we do that? Well, number one, careful how. Everybody say how. Careful how you listen. <laughs> Jesus says this in Luke eight eighteen. Consider carefully how you listen. Not just other places Jesus says what you listen to. This part, he says, careful how you listen. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what he thinks he has, will be taken from him. What's he talking about? He's talking about increase. So Jesus says this, careful how you listen. We gave you these straws today. This is a a milk straw. Some of them, if you're unfortunate, you were dealt in life the strawberry straw. It's not a bad straw, but it's not as good as the other glorious straw, which is chocolate. And And if you stick this straw in some just plain milk, not almond milk, not coconut milk, you just stick it in milk. Is that funny, baby? And you drink that milk through the straw, it is going to take on the flavor that's in that straw. The way that we view the world will change the way that we receive from it. Careful how you listen, beloved. That means this, is that I understand, I understand that I have lenses. Maybe you understand people have been mean to me in church. People have abused me, and that that is my story. That is what I've experienced, and I'm sad about that, but I want that to be renewed. Do you see? Rather than get angry and say, they're all wrong. 
Because that doesn't help you. On that subject, listen, many times what we're doing is, is it's like we're looking through a peephole. We don't have a wide open door. We're looking through a peephole. Hmm, this is the way it is. It's like you weren't even in community. You didn't have any friends. You didn't know anybody. Of course you had a bad experience. You're dealing with people. They also have whack views and values and experiences. They're broken just like you. Careful how you listen. Be carefully aware, knowing that, hey, I know that when I'm drinking this, I'm drinking this. It's going to taste like strawberry, unfortunately. (laughs) It's not going to taste like plain milk. So what do you do? Well, you, you recognize, you're careful how you listen. Number two, you get in the word, beloved. We've, we, if you value the word of God, then get in it until it gets into you. The word cleanses our lenses. I don't read the word. I don't read Josh Brown into the word. I read the word into Josh Brown. The word cleanses our lenses. Jesus, it it talks about this in Ephesians chapter 5, that that Jesus Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy and clean. We've talked about holiness, washed by the cleansing of the word. The cleansing of the word. Why do we value the word? Because my thinking needs to be lined up with what the way that God thinks, the way that Jesus thinks. I need him to give me new experiences and new emotions so I get in the word. And not just to hear the word, but to be doers also, as it talks about in James. That I hear the word, that I read the word, and then I do the word. And not just the parts that I like. Not just the hammer scriptures, right? But all of them. The ones that tell me to love my enemies. The one that tells me that love is patient. The hard ones, too. Careful how you listen. Get into the word. And number three, commit yourself to be conformed to the likeness of Jesus. It says in Romans chapter 8, verse 29, that, that, that we're predestined for that. That God looked at us and said, you know what you're supposed to do? You're supposed to look like Jesus. That's God's plan for your life. What's God's plan for my life? To look like Jesus. That's his plan. See, our values develop our virtues. Because I value Jesus, I love people that I wouldn't naturally love. Because I love Jesus, I honor people who don't deserve honor. Because he did that. And it changes the way I see everything. Now when I see sickness, I value power. So I have power over sickness because I have Jesus. I have power Over depression. Because the Holy Spirit is in me. Do you see? We value our values. Develop our virtues. Everything changes. One more story. Listen. Leslie and I, I really struggled with today's message a lot. Because I, I really want to communicate it in a way that you, you experience my heart. But Listen. Some of you need renewed experience. And you're going to have to trust the Lord to get those experiences. Because experiences take time, don't they? They use, 
I mean, it might, that might be a moment, but there's usually events surrounding around it. So last night, Leslie and I were sitting down talking about the message. I'm like, man, I don't know how to put all this together. And we rarely do that. And she reminded me about these videos that I've seen on Facebook about these glasses that they make for people that are colorblind. And, you know, colorblind doesn't mean that you can't see any color at all. It just means that it, everything's just real desaturated or it's bent towards a certain color. It's the, the color cones in your eye are messed up. And so this company developed these glasses that people can put on, people that are colorblind can put these lenses on, and they can see the world for the way it really is. And, I, and so I, I watched some of the videos months ago, and then today, this morning, I got up here at the church, and I was watching a video, and there's this, there's this kid, he's probably a 16-year-old kid, he's real cool, he's got a flat bill, he's in a backpack, you know, he's a real hip-looking kid, and, and he puts on those glasses, and you see these tears kind of come out of the glasses, and he says, this is what the world really looks like. And I was just hammered. I was like, man, I can't believe it. Like, this is, this is how we go through our lives. So many times we look everything through these filters, these jacked up filters. And what the Lord wants to do is he wants to give us new lenses. He wants to come in and give new experiences. He wants to come in and, and introduce us to new emotions and new affections. He wants to do a work in our life so that we can see him for who he really is. And that will help us see the world for what it really is.